Ben from the KTOO Newsroom. I'm Anna Canny. Designers unveiled four possible development options for Juno's Telephone Hill neighborhood on Wednesday. About 50 people attended a community meeting to review the potential plans. As KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, many of them called for the city to consider a no-build option instead of adding new housing. Telephone Hill has seven houses and one five-unit apartment building. Tenants paid rent to the state until March, when the city and borough of Juneau became the owner of the downtown property. City leaders say they want to put more housing there, but tenants have opposed any plan that would force them to leave their homes. The city contracted with First 40 Feet, an Oregon-based company, to come up with a design and development plan. On Wednesday, they presented four possible designs at a community meeting. Just one involves keeping the existing homes. Jason Graff is a designer with First 40 Feet. Everything is possible. The four concepts we're showing you today is, is, are not concepts that say no change. So there is some anticipated change on the hill. All four designs add more housing to Telephone Hill, but in different ways. Option A would replace the existing houses with 30 single-family townhomes. Option B has about 60 units with a mix of townhomes and three-story apartments. Option C features mid-rise apartment buildings, which could add up to 200 units to the hill. Finally, option D would put apartment buildings among the existing houses. First 40 feet architect James Brackenhoff said that could add 40 new units to Telephone Hill. We wanted to make sure we provided an option that um, took on board what we've been hearing from some of the folks in the community about preserving some of the homes. Brackenhoff said they still need to determine whether or not it's feasible to preserve the homes. Downtown resident Joshua Adams said he was skeptical the city would consider keeping the homes, even if the community favored that option. We all know that the city is going to look at this with the survey and say, no, none of these buildings can, can be feasibly restored. Anybody who knows anything about historic restorations knows that it's at least three times as expensive to restore something properly than it is to tear it down and build it new. Does that mean that we shouldn't preserve our history? Many attendees said they didn't think the city should add any new housing at all. Skip Gray, a former Telephone Hill resident, said he's frustrated that the questionnaires don't have a no-build option. There just aren't any answers on those surveys that I want to push the button on. And that kind of tends to lead people to saying things I think that they don't really want. It's just like the only answer there. But Betsy Brenneman, another former Telephone Hill resident, told attendees that the Planning Commission and Assembly were the right people to contact about a no-build option. You're shooting the messenger a lot tonight, which is not necessary, but because the city asked for this plan. Brenneman said she favors keeping the existing homes, but she's open to adding more units around them. If we don't get more people living downtown, you are going to have more closed storefronts in the winter. You are not going to have any businesses downtown. We have to get more people downtown. Some attendees worried the new houses or apartments wouldn't be affordable. Chris Zahas, a consultant tasked with identifying developers for the project, said the city can require a certain amount of affordable housing in its contracts with developers. If the city offered subsidies to developers, those could come with conditions that reflect the community's values. Whether that's housing or historic preservation or um, 
open space, things like that. Things that the market wouldn't necessarily do on its own, but the city's in a position to kind of put strings attached to it to get what um, the community wants out of it. Anyone interested in providing input about the project can email telephone.hill at juno.gov. In Juno, I'm Katie Anastas. Last year, the remnants of Typhoon Murbach claimed one of Hooper Bay's last offenses, a long row of sand dunes that protect the village from the frigid, fierce waves of the Bering Sea. As KYUK's Emily Schwing reports, these dunes hold the community's history, too. Hooper Bay Tribal Administrator Jan Olson slams down the gas pedal of his side-by-side off-road vehicle and he drives through mist and spray from crashing Bering Sea waves. Olsen makes a sharp left turn and pushes the side-by-side halfway up a grass-covered knoll. So this is all old Hooper Bay. There are historic photos from the 1920s and 30s of small sod houses with doorways built from driftwood. They're nestled right here in these sand dunes, but no one's lived here for a long time. New Hooper Bay lies about a mile and a half away on the other side of the dunes. That's where Olson was born and raised. Yes, the longest I was out of Hooper Bay was three months, and that was right out of high school. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I grew up in these hills. This was our playground, you know, all the dunes that we had. You know, it was our subsistence area. You know, we had so many uh, waterfowl. You know, there's, there's still, you could still come down here and find eggs. Even the um, shorebirds, you know, the ones that migrate all the way from uh, Asia. But that was back when there were several rows of dunes here. Now there's just one row left. And it's not just subsistence food resources that are threatened by the loss of the dunes. The Bering Sea is also reclaiming layers of history here. An archaeological dig in the 1950s turned up cultural items that date to 1600 A.D. Olson says a grave that was discovered years ago when the airport runway was undergoing upgrades is even older. So they did carbon dating and, you know, it was over 2,000 years old around the time when Jesus was walking around and preaching. Oh, this is, look what I found, too, at the beach. Christine Stone has a treasure she found in the dunes stored away in her back bedroom. It's a really antique. She keeps it in a hand-knitted red and white bag. Years ago, Stone says she was riding a four-wheeler near the dunes with three of her kids when something caught her eye. It was maybe blowing from the north, and it was laying on the sand. Wow. And I was like... I had my older kid driving for me, and me and my other daughters, we were on the sides sitting, and I go, hey, wait, I think I found a ulu. This ulu has a shiny, smooth, golden-brown wood handle. Its wide, curved blade is made from dark gray stone, and it's still sharp. I went off and went to go check, and it was this one, and man, I was shaking when I found it. I couldn't believe it then it had handled. It was right on the sand. What an amazing find on the beach. I know. I was like, man, nobody ran over it and broke it into pieces. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and it's a complete piece. 
An ulu like this is a treasured find in Hooper Bay. It links the people, like stone, with their history and their ancestors. And they're protective of that history, their stories and artifacts like this. As these dunes erode, they're concerned about all they could lose. As far as I can remember, we lose about seven or eight rows of hills down, down here. Joe Bell is 82. By that old village down there, seven rows. Now we're on our last, uh, last six of hills. And then if they're gone, the ocean will be coming up. When Bell was young, his elders predicted this erosion. They told him the dunes would disappear, the seawater would rise, and the community would have to move. It's going to be a little uh, difficult to try to explain some of the things that uh, I hear from our elders to pass it on to the, these uh, younger generations. Why is it going to be difficult? Because global warming, we are cold weather people. We know how to survive through winters. That's my worry for this younger generation. Back on the beach, Jan Olson looks toward the crashing waves of the Bering Sea. He says his grandmother lived for more than 100 years, but he didn't believe her when she told him the weather and people would change. I was kind of naive and I was like, yeah, right, you know, as a little boy, it's not going to happen. I don't, you know, how could it happen here? And in my lifetime, it's right now. So, you know, I was thinking maybe when I'm gone, you know, that's when it's going to happen. But it's right now. Like so many other leaders on Alaska's Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta, Olson is exploring whether his community can and should relocate. If they do, he says, they have to take the stories from these dunes with them. In Hooper Bay, I'm Emily Schwing.